Are you here? Are you here? Are you here? That sounds kind of rhetorical. Let's try the interrogative. Are you here? Are you here? Are you here? Yeah, that's the way it should sound. Welcome. This is your announcer on the Paul Leslie Hour. And this is the fourth interview of Scott Kirby. Key West singer-songwriter Scott Kirby's releasing his 10th album on the Little Flock Music Record label on March 27, 2023. This CD, Dream of Your Life, was recorded in Nashville, Tennessee, but Kirby says he started working on these songs in Newfoundland back in 2019. Hey, real quick. You can keep up with us if you subscribe to Paul Leslie's YouTube channel and like the Paul Leslie Hour on Facebook. Can you do that? Thank you. And now let's get this show to the beach. Here's Scott Kirby in conversation with Paul Leslie. Mm, not Charlie Rose. Paul Leslie. Similar, but in many ways different. Enjoy the show. Well, Scott Kirby, we meet yet again. And it's my pleasure. It is my pleasure. Thanks for coming out. Thank you for having me. So we are on uh, the day before the release of, this is your 10th album? It is. Dream of Your Life on Little Flock Music. How does it feel? 10 albums in the can. Uh... It feels pretty good. I started in this business quite late professionally in my mid-30s, so uh, I tried to get an album out about every three or four years, and uh, uh, get the, I got this one out just before the complete death of the album as we know it, <laughs> and CDs, and the download code is on there as well. But uh, I feel fortunate to be born when I was, to be in this music business during this time, it's obviously changing vastly with streaming sites, and I'm sure the next generation will figure out how to uh, do it their way. But uh, I'm uh, no, I'm happy uh, happy to get this out. It's taken a bit of time with COVID and other things, it's taken a lot longer than normal. But uh, very pleased to have it finally out. Well, congratulations! I think the first record came out Too Damn Yankee in yes. 1993. Correct. So this is 30 years 30 of recording. Years. I didn't think about that. Yeah, quite a milestone. That's the one thing about getting old, milestones. <laughs> <laughs> well, this particular album, it, it begins with a song, the liner notes say that it was born out of difficult times. Uh, what have you found is the best answer to difficulty or an obstacle? The best answer to difficult times? Yeah. Well, in this particular situation, uh, uh, I, had, uh, I had gone through a, a breakup in a relationship, and uh, I was driving around the country on my first tour, and, you know, uh, and then six months later, COVID came, and then all kinds of other things going on in the world. So uh, that's when I started writing the song, but... Now I think of it more as a song of a, an optimistic song uh, of uh, getting through things. I don't I don't think a, I think back on it with any negativity. I think of it as a 
I mean, the first line, so this is a year to chase that sun. I think it's, it's, uh, I think it's about getting through things. And uh, the soothing effect of a great American road trip, which I do every year, and hmm. I would highly recommend to anyone else who's never done it to take a drive around this great country for a month or two. Very is, soothing experience. Absolutely. Is there any part of the U.S. that you haven't explored? The only state I've not been in is Alaska. Okay. I've, I, uh, I've only been to Hawaii once. The rest of the country, I think I know it pretty darn well. I mean, there's some states I've spent more time in than others. Um, but I think I uh, have a pretty good, short of being a, a, a cross-country truck driver, I probably have a pretty good, pretty good feel for most parts of the country. Hmm. So that song is driving you away. Could you maybe give us a little taste? Uh, you know, th- uh, three or four, three or four of the songs in this album are written in in uh, an alternative tuning called "Dadgad," right? Which really uh, is. And this happens to be one of them, thank goodness. So it's an alternative tuning to what people generally play the guitar in, but. Uh, um, Gabriel Donahue taught me this tuning about 20 years ago, and I've, I've written quite a few songs in it, but I think the song goes... So this is the year to chase that sun Ain't nothing gets the bustin' heart beating like an uphill run Breath by breath little style and grace It's the only way up when you've fallen this far on your face So here I go Romancing the road Alabama, Louisiana, New Mexico No looking back There ain't nothing to say I got a heavy, heavy load and I'm driving you away. Something like that. Nice. Great way to start the album. I thought it was a good choice for the first tune. Yeah, with what we've been through as a country and a planet the last three years. Right. The album does have kind of a, a travel feel to it. Uh, I can't explain why exactly. Maybe because the first time I listened to it all the way, I was driving. Oh, okay. <laughs> maybe. That makes sense. Would you say that maybe there there could be part of the the reason for that being confined for a while? I think it's two things. It's definitely that. Um, it's, you know, the way I live my life, and those of us who do this for a living live our lives. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of travel, and uh, and I uh, I've been living uh, the last couple of years for a few months here overseas in Europe. Uh, I do a tour to Ireland every year, uh, and uh, moving forward, I think I'll probably be living in in France four months a year. So my life has changed at at, a, at my advanced age where. Uh, I'm living in different places. I observe different things. So I think it's only natural that the, I think that this little batch of songs uh, 
kind of reflects that. Not not to mention my my uh, uh, family's background, being uh, from Newfoundland. So there there are I think there are five or six songs on here that touch on the, uh, on other places. So uh, yeah, that, that's a good observation. So great photographs. I mean, not just uh, in not just the cover, but there's some really good photos in the album jacket thank you uh this this photograph um i took uh several years ago with my phone in in villefranche harbor this little harbor uh little town harbor town i live in near nice and when i looked at it the first moment i said you know i walked out of a little restaurant and snapped a picture and i got back to the the uh, flat i rented and i said that's an extraordinary picture for a phone the depth of it and I, I've showed it to a number of professional photographers, and they've all uh, said it's 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 a one in a million photo. It's luck. The between the moon, the lighting on the harbor, the, the you could take a thousand photographs and with a with a real camera, and it it wouldn't have any more depth and clarity. And it's just uh, you know, it's a uh, lucky. Mm. It's a, it was a lucky shot, and. Uh, uh, I've had more comments on social media about that album cover the last month or two than any anything I've ever done visually. <laughs> so I'm, <laughs> I'm thankful. Add photographer to the list. Yeah. I think we're going to actually have a... We've had requests to have a poster made out of it, you know. So I think we will do that uh, down the road. Nice. What is one thing you no longer care about that you used to? Um, I still care about food greatly, but I, uh, I was thinking about this question, uh, when I, uh, when I, when I was, uh, when I was young, I, uh, you know, I loved food and it, it, you know, I ate too much food and and at some point in my life, in my 20s or 30s, I said to myself, particularly when I started touring it, I can't, food can't be that important. Going out to a beautiful dinner with friends, that's important. But the everyday thing of eating, I, I no longer care about in the sense, other than the sense of being fuel. Hmm. So when I'm on the road, banana, yogurt, I, 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 give me anything for fuel. And then if I get a night off, I'll go to have a fabulous dinner with people. I love food. But the everyday concept that food is a, eating three meals a day are all recreational experiences. I, I fortunately for myself, because I had, you know, grew up quite overweight, that I somehow left that behind at some point. Huh. And, uh, and I, I, I think about that, that, uh, uh, when I'm out on the road, I mean, I just need something to get me to the next show. And I, I guess I eat more like a, someone who's going to be playing a uh, an, an athletic sport. If I'm singing a, you know, Peter Mayer and I joke about this because Peter loves food and he's a very healthy eater. Yeah. And when we tour together, he's got to have this special dinner an hour and a half, two hours before the concert. It's a big part of his thing. And I, I don't want that. I don't want a lot of food in me. I, I don't, <laughs> you know... We used to have a joke on his rider. He had, you know, all kinds of vegetable dishes that he had. I had a one in my rider. I had one granola bar. <laughs> <laughs> we went to some theater once, and 
the uh, the uh, theater manager said, "Well, you had a very simple ride about your granola bars in there on the on the TV." I said, "That's all I need. Thank you." <laughs> Interesting. So you you freed that part up of your mind so you can focus. I, I, you know, I read something when I was you know I was I grew up. I was an overweight kid. My my grandparents are extremely poor from Newfoundland, and my grandmother used to give me these sugar on white bread as a snack, if you can imagine. Yeah. With water sprinkled on it, and you know, she had a lot, did a lot of baking, and uh, got me addicted to sugar at a very young age, which is a horrible thing. But at some point, I uh, just learned that uh, I think in my thirties that anything you eat that makes you feel bad, sugar makes you feel good for a moment or two. But if you eat three donuts, I guarantee you, everyone I know feels bad afterwards. So, so I just don't want to feel bad, particularly when I'm working and I. Hmm. Got to be energetic. And then on the recreational eating, I'm still very much a fan of and can't live in a better place than France and Italy if you like to eat. So, but I usually limit myself to, you know, four or five recreational meals a week. The rest is, you know, the banana and yogurt or something that's, you know, gets me through. Yeah. Hmm. Do you consider yourself more optimistic or pessimistic? Well, I... I think I am a, a good friend of mine uh, said to me once, you know, a lot of people think you're, you're pessimistic because I have a dark Irish humor. Yeah. I'm always cracking the dark side of jokes. But she said, most of your catalog of songs are optimistic. Yeah. So I think you actually you are a really optimistic person. And I, and I think I'd have to be to be in this business for 36 years. How could one, you know, this is a difficult business. And I have to be optimistic and uh uh, not to say that I don't go through periods of being not optimistic about right now, for instance, with a, a hot war in Europe. I mean, the possibility of probably the highest possibility of a, perhaps a nuclear exchange and since the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, you know, China and Russia, you know, there's, there's a global warming. There's, you know, a lot of things for young people to not be very optimistic about. But I think I am generally an optimistic person. Hmm. Is that? Uh, I think it was the morning song that just seemed uh, full of almost youthful optimism. It's almost delusional. I don't know what I was. I don't know what was going on in the morning I wrote that. It just came into uh, uh, the strange mood I was in, and I was. It was a throwaway song, and when I took these songs to Nashville, Andy Thompson. Uh, I, I remember playing the song and I said, I don't know if we'll cut this or not, but I, I played it for him. He said, he loved that song. Hmm. And to this day, now that everything is produced and mixed, he still likes that song. But it is, to me, I said, this is the kind of song John Prine might write if he were in a, a, a you know, a festive mood one morning. You know, it's very tongue in cheek and, yeah. but it has a message to it as well. So, no. Would you maybe like to give us just a little taste of that one? It'll take me just two seconds. I'm in a different tuning. No problem. What you said was pretty funny. Uh, is it optimism or delusion? Yeah. <laughs> okay. The mor- We call it the morning song. We didn't have a name for it, so we came up with the morning song.
this morning to a big blue sky. All their kids are laughing, not a single one cried. I turned on the TV and nobody died. Why can't it every morning be like this? Good J-Lo in the backyard preparing a feast. Nobody's fighting in the whole Mideast. All their birds are singing Beatles songs in the trees. Why can't every morning be like this? Nobody's singing the blues. The only thing I hear is good news. Yeah, the planet's beginning to cool. I'm walking on the clouds in my blue suede shoes. No homeless, no disease. Plastic has vanished unexpectedly. Larry David move across the street from me. Why can't every morning be like this? And so on. I like it. it Thank you. It, it is. It's a it's a very bright, uh, optimistic song. But we need it. We need it. <laughs> we need it. So the name of this this album, and it is a great title for an album, Dream of Your Life. Tell us about the first time your eyes zoomed in on those words, dream of your life. It was two years ago, and I was uh, I'd taken two months off to drive through, through Europe. And I'd rented an Airbnb in this town called Villefranche, which I had sailed into 25 years ago, magical place. Uh, walked into this Airbnb, and you never know what you're going to get with Airbnbs, and it was on a big hilltop overlooking the Mediterranean. Uh, uh, and I, I walked in at night, uh, and there was a full moon rising out of the Mediterranean with the lights of Nice twinkling down below. And, uh, I mean, it was absolutely took me back. It just it stood there and awestruck by this view of this amazing place for $100 a night. And uh, I walked into the bedroom, and there were white sheetrock walls, and in blue paint, in this lovely script in French, someone had painted this French saying on the wall. I had no idea what it meant, and I and I googled it, and it essentially meant "dream of your life, and your life will be a dream." Hmm. And between the full moon that had risen up off the med, and that, I mean, right then I said, "This is if this isn't a sign from the song gods to write this song, there's something wrong with you." So I think I knew immediately I was going to write this song. It's a good one. It's a real good well, one. Thank you. And and it's a it is one of those magical titles. Had to be the title track. Yeah. And I had another title track already. Uh-huh. I, I had, in fact I had a hat made with the already uh, printed with the other title track was was going to be uh, based on this other song in there that of my uh, my grandfather used to say as he aged, you goes till you stops. That was oh. going to be the title. And this this bumped it off, so I think just as well it bumped it off. <laughs> but you have the hat still. I have the hat still, yeah. <laughs> okay. So maybe you play a little of uh, just a taste of Dream of Your Life. You got it. So this is Dream of Your Life, and uh, I do want to make uh, uh, one notation of this. Um, there are two lines in this that I took from a, uh, a professor at Yale's book on France. And uh, during COVID, I took a bunch of online classes, and two were taught by this gentleman, John Merriman, uh, who unfortunately since passed away. 
but he allowed me to steal these two songs from one of his book, and he's credited on the cover. But uh, I think that the two best lines in the song, Hear the France of Butter, gives way to olive oil, so I can't take credit for those. But anyway. light washed over me halfway through my sleep the words appeared upon the wall beta du hori a foreign script translated by a voice out on the breeze dream of your life and your life will be a dream a million distant candles with that fort upon the hill in no place I've laid my head ever felt as still Born in battles on the sea in the Renaissance Dream of your life and that moon on Villefranche Hear the France of butter gives way to olive oil Sweetest smelling lemon trees Spring up from the soil And pastels on a palette The Chapel St. Pierre To live a day like Monet Brushing beauty Had a thin air Something like that. Lovely. Thank you. Great. One of the... the there's something that you did on a previous album... You usually always record songs that you wrote or co-wrote, but there's a traditional song on there. Uh, now, this song, I think I had heard it before, but then I really fell in love with it when I heard James Taylor doing Wild Mountain Tom. Yes. So what made you decide to interpret this traditional tune? I go, uh, as I mentioned, I do a trip to Ireland every year with Gabriel Donahue, an Irish musician friend of mine. We take a group of 40 or 50 people with us uh, every year. Uh, so Gabriel, about a year or so ago, suggested, you know, maybe you should learn an Irish tune or two uh, to play over there or, you know, to help promote the tour. And he suggested this song. And I had heard it, uh, and it's been recorded a million different ways. Mm. Uh, and the, the uh, it's funny you mentioned James Taylor because the the arrangement that sounded to, most friendly to my ear was was his kind of Americanized or right. version, or however you want to describe that. But uh, so I learned the song from his version, and my version is slightly slightly different, but uh, that felt the most comfortable for me. So I started playing it. Uh, and I added it to my my repertoire on the road for for eight or ten months and uh i had more people after the show said ask me you really should record that song hmm. every night someone at least one person sometimes 10 or 15 people and uh after about eight or nine months of that i you know uh, uh i was going to put another one of my songs on there and i said you know um Going to Ireland is a big part of my life these days. The uh, we recorded with a with a brilliant musician who played this lovely accordion part, and we uh, decided to keep it and leave it on the leave it on the record. So that's how it ended up on there. Is it hard to to sing a traditional song like that? Well, I, I would have had a real difficult time singing it singing it the way 
in, in uh, some of the other artists, Irish artists that record because they sing with a different time and it's it's not I'm not comfortable with that mm -hmm. type of singing style where James had already had already kind of adapted it to his style, which is way closer to my style than some of the traditional. Uh, the chord the chords are different and the and the time and the meter and so forth. So yeah, I, I would have had a, a problem recording it uh in, you know, in some of the real old fashioned style that it it had been recorded in. Could you play just a taste of, of how you sing it? Yeah. Alright, see Wild Mountain Time. Oh summertime is coming. And the trees are sweetly blooming And the wild mountain thyme Grows around the blooming heather Will you go? Lassie, will you go? And we'll all go together To pick wild mountain thyme All around the purple heather Lassie, will you go? Kind of like that. It's it's really, it hits you, I think. We've talked about this a few times. You've always been kind of critical of your of your vocals. But you have a real soulfulness, and it's, it's you're a great singer. Well, you're, you're very kind. I've, I've, it's never come easy to me, and... Uh, for some reason, as I get older, it uh, might be getting a little bit better, actually. I don't know why that would, would be. But um, I do know in my younger years, I had terrible allergies for 10 or 15 years. And I was constantly stuffed up. And it was a real torturous time for me singing. And I have some, for some reason, about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, they, they sometimes you grow out of those things and they kind of went away. And uh, that that's I think uh, probably the main reason I'm singing a little better than I used to. Hmm. You know there there have been singers like I saw Art Garfunkel I think it was in 2005, and then I saw him in his late 70s, and he was sounding better. So who knows? Well, Bob Bob Dylan has said that uh, it's not the quality of the vocal; it's whether they're they're singing the truth. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, um, there's a lot of different ways to sing, and uh, yeah, I think being honest and singing the truth is, is you know, the authenticity. Now, this isn't on Dream of Your Life, but I did want to ask about this because I was curious. Uh, you wrote a song that I really think is very clever, and I know a lot of people like it. Four Good Dogs from uh, the album Four Good Dogs. Right. Are you a you're a dog lover? I had, uh, yeah, I, I had uh, three great dogs in my life. I haven't had a dog since Badger, my last dog, passed away about six or seven years ago. Um, I, I know I love animals and uh, I love dogs, and uh, I don't have a dog s since Badger died because it, you know, I that really putting dogs down is I feel so bad for it's horrendous. Yeah. And um, and then uh, with all the touring I do and yeah. my changes in my personal life, it just hasn't been uh, 
the right time for me to get another dog. And now that I live abroad so much, it just would be, you know, it wouldn't be fair to the dog. Right. Flying. The, he doesn't get to eat the French food. He doesn't get to, he doesn't, doesn't care about the view. Uh, right. So, uh, but I will have another dog, I'm sure. I will have that fourth good dog before, <laughs> before my time runs out. Would you say Badger is the, the most memorable dog of your life? Uh, I, I, uh, we had another dog before Badger named Spirit, who was also an unbelievable creature. Uh, uh, came out of a, a pound, like two years in a pound, so it had all kinds of issues. Very difficult creature. Uh, but uh, an, an, an unbelievable animal. Badger was completely different. He came out of the pound at six months old, never had a bad day in his life. And the uh, because he was a chow mix, the the trainer at the pound said you might want to socialize him a lot while he's young because he could get really protective of his food when he gets older. So she said, "You live in Key West. I would suggest walk him downtown and take him in and out of all the bars where all these people are around and get him socialized." And he was he he was the cutest puppy you can imagine. He looked like a bear cub. In fact, his name was Bear when we got him. So his, the young, uh, the young year of his life, he was just used to every single person fawning over him. And that's the way he lived his life. He was the most social. You could leave him at the, you could leave him with anyone. He, he loved people. He had, he, hmm. uh, he was a little, he was a little bit of a wild dog with that child. He was a child husky mix. So, but no, he was a great, huge personality. There were times I thought he almost tried to, would try to talk. Hmm. We're getting to a long dog thing here. You might have to edit this. <laughs> no, no, I like it. I, and I know what you mean. I, I have experienced where it looks like a dog is trying to communicate something. And it's like, if I could, the dog almost, you swear the dog is thinking, if I could only just tell you this. <laughs> yes, but true. But the reason we love them so much, I believe, I've thought a lot about this. Is because they cannot talk. <laughs> because when you leave the dog at home and you go out to dinner and come back three hours later and they're, you walk in and they're sitting there and they've, they've pooped in the corner and eaten up your shoe. If they could talk, they'd be saying, listen, you son of a gun. Next time you leave me here for three hours, I'm going to rip all your clothes up. Don't right. do that to me again or you're in big trouble. <laughs> we, we wouldn't be so fond of them. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Do you think it's wise for an artist to do things like discuss politics? Because we're living in such an age where people are, I think, they're more polarized than they were before. Do you think it's best speak your truth or, you know, and I know I see artists that do both. You can say they, 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 they curb what they think a little because they think, well, I got to sell T-shirts. <laughs> That's a, that is a really great question, and I came from a very political family. My grandmother w was involved in politics. My mother, my mother was like Richard Nixon's state chairman for New Hampshire when he ran for, or co-chairman when he ran for president. I have a political career myself, uh, not as a candidate, but as a consultant and a campaign manager and a legislative assistant for the 10 years of my, first 10 years of my working career. And yes, this is, these are times like I've, never seen or ever imagined. That's a really uh, 
people don't come to see us to listen to us talk about politics, but some things I'm, I unfortunately are happening in the country now that are so uh, critical that you're almost complicit if you don't say something. And I'm not, I'm not, not talking about elections necessarily, but you know, facts have become secondary. Uh, you know, a lot of this, uh, this is political. A lot of these, the election, you know, some of the elections are being questioned. And, you know, I, I worked in that profession. I mean, my, I have friends who were secretary of states that ran the elections. So this is personal to me when it gets to that type of thing, because I, you know, I have longstanding friends who worked in that or the people of the highest character I've ever known. They would never consider throwing an election or, and I'm talking about on the state level, you know, various states. But I think um, to talk about it in concert is a real, I've, I don't typically do that. But then I think people like, say, Jimmy Buffett walks the line, or I don't think I've ever heard Jimmy talk necessarily about politics in concert, but he's not shy about uh, doing charity events for candidates that he supports. Mm -hmm. So I think he walks a the line there. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I think... Generally speaking, people don't want their the people they count on for entertainment to be bringing that into their into their life when they when they come to us or go to a football game or a hockey game and have the athletes speaking out and uh, so it, it's a really slippery slope. Uh, I, I don't uh, don't tend to ever bring it to the stage uh, right. that I can think of, uh, but. It is an ethical situation that everyone needs to face because uh, things they feel so strongly about something to almost remain quiet is a difficult hmm. thing to do. So you on, on either side of the political spectrum. Right. So no, good question. Good answer. <laughs> you didn't say no comment. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> now this is always a difficult question and. Have you any regrets? Uh, I have a, I have a handful of regrets. I'm not uh, really a regretful person, uh, but I do have a, uh, the, my biggest regret, and I think about it all the darn time, is why did I not get to spend more quality time with my with my grandparents? Hmm. I had two unbelievable sets of grandparents, and, and, and my parents were fantastic people, too. They didn't like one another all that much, but they were great people. Um, but my grandparents, I mean, I had two grandfathers, and I think about this all the time. Why did I, and, and you know, the, they lived till the time I was in my, uh, you know, 18, 20 years old, so I had the time, hmm. and they were really nice to me, but, I mean, one of my grandfathers was Admiral Halsey's launch driver in the South Pacific. He ran the Admiral's barge. He, he was a, a character. He was in both world wars, an unbelievable character. Uh, and I was scared to death of him, probably wise. I didn't talk to him about the war and, and people of that generation didn't particularly like, like to talk about it. But I think if, if someone had said to me when I was 12 or 13, you know, you should go talk, ask your father, the grand, your grandfather questions. I mean, to look back on that now, I never, here's a man who experienced things. You know, all the history books in the world couldn't have replaced a yeah. few hours. 
And my other grandfather grew up in Newfoundland, so poor, on the, the, the unimaginable. Ten kids living in this tiny house on the rocky cliff with fishing. And, and uh, I was able to talk to him a little bit more about, about his, his life growing up. But, uh, and I, I can always remember him when I tried to talk to him, what was it like, you know, and he, he was, he said, oh, it was cold. And he would just, you could see him looking back and it was a cold, cold life. But the fish, there were so many fish then you could, you could walk on them. You could, well, you could walk on their backs and they fished out of dories. But uh, there should be some high school mandatory class for people that have their grandparents alive that they should be urged to, you know, I think about what a wasted, uh, yeah. time that you know that i never really got to do that and uh maybe that's why i'm somewhat focused or obsessed with you know learning so much about them hmm. about them now and going back to newfoundland and um so that's my biggest i mean i have some other little regrets i you know i wish i would have done things a little bit differently in my career but but that's that's the that's the one that really hmm. you know gets me yeah, I regret that same thing. You know, I did spend a lot of time with my grandparents, but it's something, and anybody out there who's watching or listening can learn from your, your answer there. I remember an interview that I did. Uh, someone was talking about a great musician from New York, Eddie Davis, the Manhattan minstrel. And they said, when Eddie died, a library burned down. And that's, right. yeah, we can learn so much from... The Oldens. Absolutely, yeah. So much. You know, my grandfather, who was, was in the Navy, I, I, when I was 16, he, he, was a, he was a car guy. Well, he was a mechanic. That's why I ran Admiral Halsey's launch. And uh, he was a tough guy. And he, Halsey was his hero. Whiskey under the sink three or four days, three or four times a day. A little slug <laughs> of whiskey, smoke, lucky strikes. Had a BMW motorcycle, a Mercedes car. He's a real car guy. My mother urged me at 16 when I got my license, you should get a little motorcycle. So uh, I ended up buying a little motorcycle when I was 16, and it was, a, it was a Japanese motorcycle. So I get the motorcycle, and my grandfather was a hero of mine. I went down there to show it to him. He came out, he came out and looked at it, made some disparaging remark about it being a Japanese, and he, he went in the house and slammed the door and didn't speak to me for a year. <laughs> And I said to my mother, you know, I, I'm 15 or 16 years old. I haven't, you know, embraced the complexity of world history quite yet. Right. Uh, she said, oh, I should have. I don't know why I didn't think of that. Of course, he, he, he was in World War II in the South Pacific. And uh, I said, well, he's got a Mercedes and a BMW. I mean, she said, that's not, that's not his. That wasn't his war. <laughs> We'll get you. A, we'll get you a different motorcycle. So, <laughs> within, within about six months, I, I got a Triumph, and the first thing I did was go to his house and pull in the drive. And he, he came out. Now that's a motorcycle. <laughs> you had made amends. <sighs> made amends. Thank goodness. I couldn't have lived with myself if he, if he passed on before I hadn't, you know, cleared that up. Hmm. Well, the name of the the tenth album, out tomorrow, or if you're watching this today. Dream of Your Life, such an evocative title. Is there a dream you still hope for? 
My, I am so grateful at my, I, I, uh, I went and looked at an interview you did with me 20 years ago. Yeah. Recently. And you, you asked me, uh, what I, you know, what I like to do in life and my time off. And I mentioned if I had a lot of money and I was really successful, I'd like, I'd like to travel more and, and maybe live abroad, you know, spend more time in Europe. And, and I said, wow, I ended up, I said that 20 years ago and I, you know, and ended up doing that. And, uh, I'd like to keep playing music as long as I can. But, you know, there's, there'll be a time when the voice or the hands go or, or the, or the lyrics or, uh, I am so grateful. I've got perfect health. Uh, I watched an interview the other day with Peter Mayle, who wrote A Year in Provence and a number of other books. And, and, uh, it's an old interview. And Charlie, Charlie Rose, uh, said a similar question. He said, well, I'm the luckiest person in the world. He said, I, I do something every day that I get paid for. I live only in the places I love. And I have perfect eyesight. So <laughs> when you get in your late 60s, what, what else is there? So Right. Absolutely. Well, before we go, would you like to maybe noodle around or, or, or give somebody, give the people out there just a little, a little something to send them on their way? Totally up to you. Let's see here. A little bit of a song I wrote with Annie Thompson called "Out on the Blue." Okay. Uh, I've always had a great love for the ocean, and uh, Andy and I wrote this. And this just really, uh, no matter where you are in the world, uh, it just seems always more peaceful out on the water. So we'll play a little bit of this, and and uh, thanks for possibly buying the CD. Sip of tequila, taste the sweetness on your lips. Let's pass the tourist traps and get of all the slip. We can get lost tonight to see where this all leads. I'm fine anywhere, all here with me. Down in a hotel, they're all reeling. In that all-night party feeling Well, they're carrying on Till the break of dawn Out on the blue Everything is all right Clothes dancing in the moonlight Jelly rolling in the waves Out on the blue We're living life in our time Final breath of the sunshine You and me will be drifting out away Scott Kirby Thank you for having me Thank you Appreciate it My pleasure See you soon See you soon you know, the Paul Leslie Hour is made possible by people like you. Listeners, viewers, please go to thepaulleslie.com slash support, and you'll know what to do when you're there. Thank you. Thank you, everyone who contributes. Performance of The Entertainer intro song by John Primerano. And, of course, this is your announcer speaking. 
See you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.